श्रीला गुरुदेव की जाय श्रीमन महाप्रभु की जाय श्री हरि नाम संकीर्तन की जाय श्री श्री दाऊजी गोपाल जी की जाय ग्रंथ राष्ट्रीय भागवतम की जाय श्री विनुगीत की जाय गौर भक्त वृंद की जाय गौर So good evening to all of you. Pranam, welcome. And today we are <clears throat> continuing with our series of lectures on Sri Benu Gita or the Song of of the Flute. Today is our fifth fifth meeting. Yeah. And today we will be studying verse number five. And to be honest, I'm not. I don't think we will be able to finish today, verse number five. So that may take <coughs> at least two meetings. <laughs> Let's see. Which is, as I mentioned, one of the most important verses of the whole Srimad Bhagavatam. But let's begin, as usual, with some brief summary of previous class when we studied two verses: verse number three, verse number four, and. In the first two verses of the Benu Gita, briefly recap, we can remember how um, the, the, the scene that was being depicted was in the forest. Krishna in the forest with his friends entering the forest uh, and all the different details of the scenario there. And now in verse 3 and 4, we travel back to the village. And Sukadev Goswami is depicting very expertly to Pariksit Maharaj how that situation of the forest, how this song of the flute has a particular impact in the gopis. In the village who are ashrutya, as we say, they are hearing in a very absorbed way, or even there, for them, they can hear a little bit of the song, and for that, that for them that's enough to be thrown into a pool of ecstatic absorption. Both, both verses 3 and 4 we mentioned start with the word tat, which means that. Uh, that song flute, that particular Benu Gita, which created that unique effect in the gopis, in this case. Of course, Benu Gita is uh, making the whole Vrindavan mad, but in this particular section of the Bhagavatam, is depicting the madness of, of the gopis. Hmm? And that's why the word Smara was used in both, both of the two verses, 3 and 4. Smara, which means, meant uh, Cupid. Hmm? So it aroused the influence of Cupid, romantic dedication in the gopis was uh, inspired. They were cupidized, as we mentioned. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cupidity was there. And of course, this applies only to the Braja gopis. The other Brajavas are totally affected, but not in the context of Cupid. And then Sukadev started to describe in a more specific way the gopis in the Madhurya camp, and then a certain group of gopis, Kachit, some of them, which the Acharyas mentioned is Shirad and her group, and in a very intimate setting, they started or tried to start to describe in confidentiality the effect of the flute. Swasaki Bhyo, say the mantra, with her own intimate friends. And of course, we spent some words trying to clarify what do we mean by Cupid and the difference between mundane cupidity and transcendental aprakrita, romanticism, if you will, and how the two are words apart, and actually how one is the solution, if you will, to the other, as Sukadev Goswami himself mentions in the, in the Fala Shruti, 
of this whole Rasa Panchadhyaya, the very last verse of the five chapters of the Rasa Lila, where the fruit of the whole hearing of that section is mentioned, Sukadeva Goswami is saying, Vikriditam Rajabhudurvididam Sabishnu, Sadam Vitanu Srinuyada Tabarna Yetyat, Bhaktim Param Bhagavati Pratilaga Kamam, Hridrogam Asupahinotya Chirenadira. In brief, he's saying, by hearing this Rasa Lila, you will conquer lust, and you will attain the highest devotion. This Rasa Lila, which seems to be the greatest promotion of lust for the uninformed eye, is actually the ultimate solution to the, to the disease of the heart, selfish desire. So, in this way, the gopis start to <clears throat> try to reveal their minds in Swayatiya, according to like-minded members, intimate personalities. And they are trying to keep their love hidden, gopi means that, but in these moments they are become overflowed by emotion and they have to do something with that, so they try to share with like-minded devotees, because the flute is taking that out. Again, generally gopis in the, parakia, in the mood of parakia, they try to hide their emotions. It's a forbidden love, clandestine, if you will, love. But Krishna plays the flute and makes the whole ocean overflow. So the gopis try to say something in Parokshabad, nonetheless, in indirect speech. But as we mentioned, when they try to say something, their throats become choked up and they cannot speak in ecstasy, basically. We mentioned different reasons why people sometimes may not be able to speak on stage or in any given situation, not due to ecstasy, <laughs> but due to stage fear or lack of capacity, or lack of knowledge of the topic, lack of attraction for the topic, lack of proper desha kala patra, but this, this is not the case here. So the group's silence has to do with the highest uh, things going on inside, basically. Hmm? And the very last verse, a uh, word of these two verses was Nipa. When Sukadeva said, Parikshit Maharaj, O King. So we explain why Sukadeva was saying, O King, to Parikshit. On one side, because Sukadeva himself was becoming ecstatic and trying to convey his own experience to the King. This is what's going on, and taking Parikshit from the hand, crying and saying, This is what's going on in the heart of, of the Brajago, because in my heart, now by vicarious experience and by extension now, Let's throw it to your heart. Or another option is Parikshit Maharaj himself is ex becoming, how do you say, horripilated, with hairs standing on end and ecstatic. And Sukadev Goswami is appreciating the, the experience of his student, how much he's really hearing the Bhagavatam. So he's like kind of glorifying his own disciple, like, oh, King, oh, now you are experiencing this basically. Enough. So if you are experiencing this, try to imagine what must Sri Radha be experiencing in this precise moment. So, Vishmanachakravarti Thakur then commands to that verse, so which was that specific form of Krishna that made the gopis enter into such unique form of ecstatic silence, if you will. So, which was that specific form, because there are many Krishnas, as we always say. So, which was that Krishna? Today we will see which is that Krishna, because that will be described in the, in the fifth verse, again, which, as I mentioned, will be most one of the of the most important verses. So also something that we, I don't remember if we mentioned that last class, but nonetheless it's important, is the gopis first heard the sound of the flute, then they started to say something about that, and by speaking about that, they immediately started to remember Krishna and his activities. So you can clearly see the sequence of Shravan, Kirtan, Smaran. Shravan, first the gopi heard the flute, 
which is another way of saying here in Harikata for us. Now, that's the flute for us. <laughs> Eventually, Harikata will turn into the flute, basically. So, first they heard the, the Harikata Shravan. Then they started to speak about what they heard, Kirtan. And by doing that properly, their minds become totally captured, and that was smart. They were so captured that they, the, the Kirtan was stopped. That's the highest form of Kirtan. It seems there is no longer more Kirtan <laughs> because of choked throat. No? So you can imagine what Kirtan is in that silence, basically. So, in, in this way, the gopis were just surfacing and going inside the, the, the ocean, the ocean of their ecstatic emotions, and at one point they were just in intimate group looking at each other, but nobody, none of them able to, to say a word, not able to sleep. But just by looking at each, at each other with full empathic connection, they could understand what's, go, what's going on in each one's heart. So at that point there's no need to, to say anything, basically. But the, 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 the glances are speaking more than a thousand words. <laughs> So that's the opposite sometimes to what we see in conditional life. You know, people are very expert at speaking so much you know, outside. But inside, sometimes there is not that much stuff to really be appreciated. <laughs> there is not that much going on inside. So we need to, to create some dynamics towards outside. But here the Gopis would say, externally, nothing going on. Internally, oh. <laughs> so gradually... As our Gurmash will say, you, know, you will be speaking about Krishna in such a way that at one point Krishna will do like with, like he did with Ramananda Roy. You know, he says, say more, say more, say more, shut up, don't speak more. And he will you know, put his hand in our mouth and throw us into the lila. <laughs> you are speaking too much here. It is too confidential. Go there. The, the, go to the corresponding land with all those stuff. No? <laughs> so... So in this situation, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur also comments in his uh, Sarartha Darshini that uh, <clears throat> Sukadev Goswami, remember that Sukadev Goswami is narrating this to Parikshit Maharaj and he is visualizing all that this is happening, all these dynamics of the Lila are being revealed in his heart. So he is seeing the situation and he is conveying that to the king. So he's, he realizes, oh, the, the gopis' throats are choked up. So they cannot continue speaking. So Sukadev Goswami, knowing what was going on in, in, their, in the gopis' heart, he began to say what the gopis will have said, basically, but they were not able to speak. So he was able to speak on some level, as we will see, <laughs> because actually it is described that, I mean, we mentioned before, when he said Nripa, one of the options is, O King, Sukadev Goswami was not able to speak that much. So it's not that the gopis were choked up and Sukadev Goswami was like, yeah, let's continue speaking. And whatever was happening to the gopis was happening basically to Sukadev Goswami. Mm. But it is said that Sukadev Goswami make a great effort to control his ecstasy and continue speaking. Because remember, Pariksit Maharaj had seven days. Mm. And Sukadev Goswami was to convey the whole Bhagavatam in that seven days. And no, not many days were remaining and as we know, if Sukadev Goswami will be thrown into an ocean of ecstasy, who knows where, when he will return. So with great effort, he will take his ecstasy and repress his ecstasy. <laughs> no, sometimes we hear about repression in this world, but not of ecstasy precisely. You know, other types of things. <laughs> no, so in this case, ecstasy is coming, and, and, and many of us may be just like dying for a drop of ecstasy. And in this case, you are having like currents and currents of oceanic ecstasy, 
and just denying that. So one can render a better service. There are many examples in Shastra like this. So Sukadeva Goswami as, as, as a char is sitting on Vyasasana and has a service of conveying Bhagavatam to Pariksit. So he knows. Now I have a deadline. Or he has a deadline and I have therefore a deadline myself. So he's trying and on many sections of the Bhagavatam this similar situation is coming. Sukadeva is about to get lost, lost and found <laughs> and he somehow continues and, and continues speaking. There are many, many cases like that famous Lila with Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta also when someone was like criticizing, basically misunderstanding the gopis and saying some nonsense and he was like if I speak, I have to speak in order to protect the, the dignity of the ideal but at the same time this person has no adhikar to hear me speaking about those topics but I have to say something, he's just doing nonsense and committing a prayer. But if I say something, what will that person make of that? So he, these two, like, in, in t- very intense emotions were like you know, cr- clashing inside of him. Srila Sir Marasana raised that he was present there. And he saw that Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta at one point he was not able to, to, to do one thing or the other and phew, he fainted. <laughs> Out of this struggle of different intense ecstatic emotions. So different things like this. So Sukadev Goswami here is in this situation, no? basically saying, I know that the gopis cannot speak, but I know what they will say. And I'm almost in the same situation, not being able to speak, but I will make a great effort to not fall in ecstasy. <laughs> and I will try to come to describe what the gopis are thinking, seeing in their smaran, in the in the eye of their minds. So remember that Sanatana Goswami said in chapter, I think, 14 of the Bhagavatam, seven chapters before, Sukadeva Goswami attains Sarup Siddhi while here in the Bhagavatam. So Sarup Siddhi means you, you develop a perfect capacity to empathize with whatever is going on in the Lila because you are there, basically. So that's the situation, the background to this particular verse. So let's recite it, it's verse number five. You will see it's a new meter called Mandakranta Chanda. Mandakranta is the name of the Chanda or the meter. So Krishna will be described with very unique and, and, and very defining features. So this is a new meter and a quite complicated one. So uh, what we can do, uh, let me see. To begin with, I will share the... <clears throat> I'll try for my first time in life to share a screen in Zoom. So let's see how it works for the ones connected to, 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 to see the, the verse. <laughs> because you see that in the verse, in the file that I send you, above there are some little lines and signs. So that has to do with the, the way, ideally, that the syllables are, the rhythm, which are there, they are to be pronounced. So what I will do, yeah, what I will do is, I will, this time only at least, because the rest of the verses will be easier, so I'll recite the verse first myself, and then we can do a second try all together. Hmm? And also, the rhythm is complex, and the melody may be even more complex. Than the rest. Okay. So can you see the verse in the ones who are connected in Zoom? Okay. My fair experiment was successful. 
it says like this varha pidam natavaravapu karnayo karnikaranam bibrad basha kanak kapisham bajayantim chamalam randhan benur adharasudaya rudayam gopabrinde brindaranyam shapataramanam pravishad kita kirti yeah we can try varha pidam natabarabapu karnayo karnikaranam ೃಂದರಾಮೀರ್ತಿ Okay, so let's let's go to the <clears throat> to the meaning of the verse. Let's go to this translation first, and then we can share some other thoughts. So it says, "Wearing a peacock feather ornament upon his head, blue carnicara flowers on his ears, a yellow garment as brilliant as gold, and the vajjayanti garland." Sri Krishna exhibited his transcendental form as the greatest of dancers as he entered the forest of Vrindavan beautifying it with the marks of his footprints he filled the holes of his flute with the nectar of his lips on the cowherd boys sang his glories so this is the description of the scene that the gopis are seeing in their heart and sukadev is extending to us so i will br- briefly describe word by word and, and we will try to to give some explanation detailed explanation of each word so barha pidam first of all that's one the first feature barha pidam barha means pick of feather barha and apidam means like on one's head like a decoration on one's head like crown in the case of krishna that's the crown of krishna brach barha pidam Natavara means the king of dancers or the best of dancers. Natavara, Nata means dance and Vara means like the topmost. And Bapu means his body. So he has the body of the best of dancers. That's the generic meaning. Now we'll later we'll see how its expression has many other possible meanings. Then he says Karnayo Karnikaram. So Karnayo means on, on both ears, it's plural. Karnikaram, one karnikar flower basically then we'll explain more bibrat bibrat is a verb that applies basically to all the other ornament all the ornaments mentioned in the verse bibrat is like wearing so you can say he's wearing a peacock feather he's wearing the flower he's wearing a body that is the best of dancers and all the things that will come out now after the bibrat also so bibrat basha kanaka kapisham so basha means cloth kanaka kapisham means kanaka is like gold and kapisham is yellowish and bajjayantim chamalam and cha bajjayantim alam 
Mala means garland, and by Jayanti is, is the name of the garland that Krishna wears. Then says Randran Benur. Randran means the holes. Benur means the the Benu, the flute. So the holes of the flute what? Adhara Sudaya Purayan. So Adhara means lips, or his lips in this case, and Sudaya Apuraya. Apuraya means filling up with Sudaya, with the nectar. So filling up with the nectar of his lips, the holes of his flute. When translated, we have to go the opposite order in this case. So he filled, instead of saying he played the flute, no, he filled the holes of his flute with the nectar of his lips. Please, let's be specific. <laughs> And Gopa Brindair accompanied, Gopa Brinda means along with his Gopas, with a multitude of Gopas. And the last line says, Brindaranyan Sapadaramanam Pradishat Sagita Agyutim. So Brindaranyan means the Aranya or the forest of Brinda, another word, another way of saying Brindavan. Brindaranya. Swapada, his own feet. Swa, his own pada, his own feet. Ramanam means enchanting or loving. Pravishat Gita Kirti. Pravishat means entered. So he entered the forest of Vrindavan with his own feet, like implying walking barefoot there. Gita Kirti. Gita means sung or being sung in this case, in place of birth. And Kirti means glories. So with his glories being sung, he entered the forest of Vrindavan. So generally, yes, the Gopas are doing kirtan of Krishna's glories while entering with him in Braj. Although there will be many other meanings. So that's a general idea of this verse. So let's, let's go to the not so general idea and the specifics of it. So this verse possesses the longest um, meter of all the other verses of the Benu Gita. If you remember the first verse possesses the Anustuv meter the first verses basically, which is the classical meter like the one you find mostly in Bhagavad Gita. And then from verses 7 to 19, all again we'll have understood meter, it's mostly the, the typical meter in the whole Venu Gita. And here we have a long meter. So what that was the implication? That Sukadeva Goswami has a lot to say. So well, a shorter meter is not enough. No, I require longer one so I can express myself more in detail. Because I have to describe that form that is making the throats of the gopis choked up. So he's taking the longest possible meter, which is <laughs> to say something about that. I mean, there's no longer meter, so okay, let's pick the longest one and let's go with that one. So as I mentioned, this is a a very famous verse for some, for many devotees, for great acharyas. This verse is the Krishna meditation. If you want like a meditation on Krishna or on the Krishna we worship in Vrindavan, for many this is the verse. At the end of the explanation we will see two other verses in the Bhagavatam which are almost similar, identical with this one. But this is the most special one because it is sung by, by the groupies. The other two are sung outside of Vrindavan, if you will. So again, this is a very, very important verse because it's Describing Krishna according the sweet form of Krishna in Vrindavan according to those qualities which define Krishna. No. To begin with, peacock feather. No. I mean, flute. If you put a peacock feather on a flute, you don't need to even say anything else about it. You know Krishna in Vrindavan. <laughs> no. 
So all those things that make Krishna and Vrindavan who he is, Krishna and Vrindavan, are like systematically depicted here in this particular verse. So, and, and every deity, you know, in the Hindu pantheon has this. If you speak about Shiva, you know, the ashes and the moon and the, and the garland of skulls, skulls and so on. And you go, I don't know, to Vishnu, Conchil and Lotus and Four Arms and Lakshmi Devi and and a bed of serpents, but he remains in peace in such a bed, no problem. <laughs> He's Shanti Purusha. He, he passed the test. <laughs> and when we, we get to Krishna, again, you can just, I mean, we can enter in full detail, but you can just say, pick a feather flute. I mean, you cannot mistake him with anyone else in the whole, again, Hindu pantheon, enough. Because that's what they make Krishna Vrindavan, Krishna Vrindavan, that's what the gopis... Uh, demanded for, from Krishna when they met with him in, in Kurukshetra. And he was coming from Dwarka. There was no peacock feather. There was a big crown. There was no flute. There was some, sometimes he showed even four arms. And when he said, you, we can get together, and the Gopi said, the very last verse of, the, of that chapter, he said, and so on. So they said, actually we want you back in Brindam. Where, where is your flute? Well, you are a big personality here. We are simple ladies with simple mind from the cover village. So we want you back into Vrindavan. We want you back into our hearts. Put up, put again your peacock feather, take your flute. Of course, we know Krishna is not playing flute outside of Raj because he's not so inspired as to do that. I mean, he's playing flute because there is some Udipana for him to, to do that. He's doing that on, on the strength of the Brajavasi's love. <laughs> you take out Brajavasi's love, you are taking out Krishna and Vrindavan because, again, a particular form of the Absolute corresponds with a particular type of love. You take out that love, you have another form of the Absolute. So, so this is a particular form, again, that is appearing in the hearts of the gopis at this precise moment when they are hearing the flute from the village that is coming from the forest. So this is another very nice, like, mantra upasana, this type of verses would give us a or it's Mantra Mayupasana. Yesterday someone drew that. Drew that. <laughs> I was the one who guessed that, so I won't say anything. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like a still picture of the whole movie where one particular scene of the Lila is depicted and one can really... You can see so many details to meditate on. This is a very nice verse to, to memorize also. I don't know how much we are accustomed to memorize shlokas, but that's a very nice seva. No, it's not a mechanical thing, okay, I have to learn a verse and repeat, but it's an offering. I mean, you can come to the deities and you can offer in verses. That's one of the main offerings to the deities, no? offering prayers, offering verses, of course, offering different ornaments and boga and articles, but there are so many nice verses in the Shastra that are pleasing to Sri Thakurji, so we can learn them by heart, we can meditate on them, and we can try to present them with some some emotion and offer ourselves through that. So I'm saying that because sometimes the, the learning of verses is, is not so so much appreciated in that context, but it's sometimes seen as a, I don't know, memory competition, and it ends up being an ego stuff, and it has nothing to do with it. <laughs> And it's not only to be expert for knowing verses when giving the class and showing everyone how much I know. It's, it's not the much, but it's how much all those things are nourishing our own 
bhajan meditation and offering. So this is a very nice one. Indeed, there is a very famous picture which kind of depicts this scene. I think I sent that to you. I don't know if there. I have it here with me also. So I will again do my second experiment of sharing screen. Um, I will share it with the ones who are connected. There is a very nice picture that was made by an instruction of Srila Prabhupada by one of his early earlier disciples called Govinda Dasi. So I think all of you know the picture. There it is. So it's it shows mostly Krishna and Balaram and you see that the gopas are there and the cows are there. No? This is what their gopis the gopis are not there because again the gopis are in the in the village. No? So here they are entering the forest. So this is what they are visualizing. So this is a very very beautiful picture that depicts this particular scene. And interestingly to say that they, that's an aside, but maybe you may know for those who read Oh My Friend, but Govinda Dasi, the author of the painting, she said that to Prabhupada, and that Gopa that is next to Krishna Balaram, that's you. And, and did you say that Prabhupada never objected to that? Um, he generally objected when there was some like wild speculation going on. I mean, if he was not that, that would be a wild speculation. No? Like, you are that in the painting. <laughs> and he just like... <laughs> silence. Maybe choke up and silence. <laughs> also, this is another way of, of establishing how this verse is very, very important. Most of our acharyas mentioned that this is one of those few very powerful verses that... Vyasadev gave to the woodcutter when he sent the woodcutter bring my my son back Sukadev back. As you know the story of Sukadev Goswami was just 16 years on the womb of his mother so, so we can empathize with her <laughs> and you can even empathize more that after 16 years say okay so finally I will see my son after so long and the first thing Sukadev Goswami is doing is just running into the forest he does not want anything to do with these family affairs <laughs> You can imagine, mother, <laughs> father, and it's say Vyasadev goes is, is running after him. I often pronounce Sukadev Goswami, who after being born just ran into the forest. And Vyasadev, his father was running after him, calling him. Putreti, oh son, putra, putra. And the only sound that went, came back was the trees. And the sound of the trees replying, the same words, like implying. There was no reply from Sukhadev. <laughs> so, this is one of the verses, along with some others that are mentioned for. One of them is, the firm other, other verses is the famous verse that Udab mentions regarding how merciful Krishna is. You know the verse. What would have said, he gave Batsalya to Putana. I mean, how someone can be more merciful? Or how you could ever surrender to someone else apart from Krishna? This is another of the verses that Vyasadev gave to the woodcutter to bring back the, the Admaran, to make someone fall from Brahman. <laughs> And also, also sometimes it is mentioned that another verse that was given for bringing Sukadev back is one of the tenth canto, which says "Nibrita Tarsheiru Pagiya Manabhavos Sadhacchotra Vinavirama Kautama Shloka Gunanu Nabat 
which is a verse which glorifies Harikata basically. So these three verses speak about the beauty of Krishna, the one we are describing today, the mercy of Krishna, the one connected to Putana, and the power and glories of Harikata, which is non different from Krishna. And all these three verses made the Admaram Sukadev Goswami come back from the forest, like hypnotized, like following the sound of the of those verses from the forest. He was brought back. Of course, Vyasadev was not running after Sukadev because he was like an attached Grihamedi. Oh, I have my son. I at least, let's take a picture, one selfie and go to the forest. No, nothing like that. <laughs> but just actually, Vyasadev said, my son is so, so qualified to receive Bhagavatam. I have such a qualified disciple there, prospective disciple, and he just ran into the forest. <laughs> so he's running after his disciple. Come back, come back, you are such qualified. Come, I need someone to receive this this gift of the Bhagavatam. So, so again, these verses were sent, one of them, the one we are standing here. And Sukadev returned like hypnotized. And eventually, Admaramas the glories of Hari, the qualities of Hari are such, so attractive that even Atmaramas, someone who is beyond any attraction from this world, become attracted to that. Which means this attraction is not from this world. It's trans paranormal. It's totally transcendental. Hmm. Hmm. So before going to an ex- explanation of each part of the verse, let me share something that Sanatana Goswami says in his Brihad Bhagavatam Brita. He says, Brihad Bhagavatam Brita, um, Brihad Toshani, sorry. Here there is no representation of ornaments such as pearl necklace and golden armlets, since that description is eternally established automatically. Or, as we mentioned, every time he says or, he likes even more that version. Or, it's because of entering in the forest, just in that fashion, exclusively with a forestial apparel, for the purpose of a particular recreation on the first day of autumn. According to Sanatana Goswami, it's the first day of autumn. So one meaning is, yeah, Krishna also has some other ornaments that are not mentioned, but everyone knows that they are included in the whole packaging. Or, he's especially dressed today with forest ornaments, and only the ones depicted here, and some other more opulent stuff is left behind at home for other moments of the day. But now he's going to the forest, so he has a proper... He's entering into a particular stage, so he is dressing, if you will, in a particular way. So, let's go to the meaning of the verse. We will go word by word, because this is a very, like, systematic description of every single aspect of these defining qualities of Krishna. So, again, let's try to also make this some form of disciplined visualization of, of, of each one of the things in order to invoke attraction towards our Easter day. So let's go with the first, I don't know where we will end, maybe we'll not be able to go beyond the first line or the first word, but no problem. Barha Pidam. Let's go with Barha Apidam. Again, Barha meant peacock feather and Apidam means on top of his head. So he's crowning his head with the Technically speaking, barha can mean peacock. So sometimes they say, strictly speaking, they will say, he has a peacock on his head. (laughs) Which may sound like a little bit like, (laughs) like if a peacock is sitting on Krishna's head. Because it is said that sometimes he not only has one feather, 
but he has so many feathers that if you see him at the distance, it seems like, oh, like a whole peacock is dancing on Krishna's head. Crown. Sorry? Crown. Yeah, like a peacock feathers crown, basically. No? So, but basically that's the idea. No? His, his head is crowned by a peacock feather. And of course, we will go to all the implications of that. It's not just because it's cool and, and aesthetic, but there are still a lot of things behind. So, and, and of course, he has a top knot, as we know, in Krishna's general style. Of course, he has different ways. He comes his hair, and he has the turbans and the peacock feathers. And generally, there are different pearls and, and jewels surrounding the, the top knot. But the crown of all that, like, divine arrangement on you know, the hair, the turban, the pearls, the jewels, you know, the ever the Everest of the Himalayas, if you will, <laughs> the top one, is the peacock feather. Like that's like the ultimate crowning, if you will, element with all that it implies. And, and sometimes it is mentioned that it it, it, it appears as, as, as if it is a half moon present there. And and giving the impression of Krishna's like a dark cloud is it's always Describe his hue, and the peacock feather is like a how do you say in English? A rainbow, you now appearing, crossing the, the the dark cloud. Because the colors of the peacock feather resemble all the different colors present in the rainbow somehow. Hmm? It is said actually by many that the peacock feather has the seven colors of the rainbow if you analyze them in detail. Hmm? So they increase Krishna's beauty, or as it is said in Shastra. Krishna is so beautiful that you don't know if his ornaments are increasing his beauty or if his beauty is increasing the beauty of his ornaments. It's basically the latter. <laughs> so our Guru Maharaj likes to, to make a very nice point regarding the peacock feather. We have there one there. Which the peacock feather on one side is pretty beautiful, pretty aesthetic. So it, and also it, it's, it, lo it looks like an eye, like an eye, if you see. So he will com compare the idea of eye with vision, or wisdom, or tatwa and siddhanta. <laughs> and, and the beauty aspect of the peacock feather with the notion of bhava and ecstasy and relishment. So the two ideals are are present there. Of course, if you want one, you have to go first through the other. No? So first, you have to establish firm foundation of Tatu and Siddhanta, and then on top of that, you can build the palace of emotion, if you will. Hmm? And Krishna is choosing to decorate himself with that. He's decorating himself with Tatwa and Bhava. No? That's part of his ornaments, basically. Hmm? And, and that will be our approach to him, basically. No? If he's adorned with that, we respect and honor the way the implications of his ornaments. So, if the first implication of his crown is Siddhanta and Tatwa, okay, I will be very careful in learning Tatwa and Siddhanta just because I want to approach Krishna in the proper way <laughs> and honor his crown in the proper way. And that will take to Bhava. From Sadhana, we go to Bhava. Also, of course, we already spoke something about the peacocks. And something that I forgot to mention that is also connected, hmm? at least according to the Brajabasi tradition, again, this may have not been never, have been scientifically proved, as with the swan dr drinking mixture of water and milk and taking only the milk, or the pirate biting the fruit and making it sweeter. Maybe that's not in the laboratory, but it's a way of expressing a point. 
So in Brindavan also sometimes they say that between peacock and peahen, the copulation process is through tears. He said that the peacock starts to cry, and the and the peahen swallows those tears and becomes pregnant. Again, how much that can happen in practice, that's a different thing. But again, the point is something here. When we speak about the union between Krishna and the gopis, it may seem some mundane eroticism. No, no. Full of tears in between. And the tears, of course, are tears of, of power, tears of love, tears of ecstasy. So whatever union is totally in the context of tears of love. So there's nothing ordinary to that. So how this peacock feather came to crown Krishna's head? No, we can we can go there. You may imagine the the history. Krishna says in the Gita, Patram Pushpam Palantoyam, you know the famous verse, if someone offers me leaf, flower, fruit, and so on, with bhakti I will accept. So the peacocks hear this verse and they wonder well, what we can offer to him. No. Fruit is difficult, no, flower, but we can offer leaf for, for for a peacock, the leaf are their feathers, basically. And we can offer some water, tears of, of, of divine service to him. So that, that's their main offering. Again, externally seems very simple, but they are giving even a part of themselves, one of their feathers. It's like a part of myself, or myself in that particular form. So it is said that when the peacocks see Krishna dance, and, and next we will go eventually to Krishna as a dancer, again, Natavara, the best of dancers, hmm? the peacocks are dancers by nature. Their dance is very famous, and it's Anudipana for Krishna, and Krishna's dance is Anudipana for the peacocks. <laughs> so when the peacocks see Krishna dancing, they feel, oh, he's one of us. How he dances, how he moves. No, We know that the peacocks' dance has a lot to do with with Madhuri also, with the romantic dynamics. <laughs> so when they see Krishna dance, like he dances for the gopis, they feel like, wow, no, he's, he's a peacock also. No, like he's one of us, he's dancing in that way. No? And we remember even Krishna in one lila, he appears as a peacock to that point. You know? So the peacocks see Krishna dance and they start to imitate him. No? And they start to dance, trying to follow Krishna's footsteps, if you will. Hmm? And, and, and as we know, when, when Krishna is dancing, everyone is dancing. The, the whole world starts to dance. You know? Sometimes you say that everyone is dancing with the exception of, of the Apsaras. The Apsaras are the heavenly dancers. When Krishna is dancing, the Apsaras do not dance and just take notes you know? about next new steps to improve in, in Twarga, you know? how, to, how to really dance. <laughs> everyone else is dancing, but the, the most famous dancers are just like, watching and taking some new ideas. No? <laughs> and of course, another connection between the peacocks is that when the peacocks see the, 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 the rain clouds, they start to dance. That's like Anudipana for them. So when they see Krishna with Gansham, whose um, hue is like the rain cloud, naturally they, they, they mistake Krishna with a rain cloud, if you will, a dancing rain cloud. So they start to dance. That's another way of putting that. And during that dancing, it is that the peacocks at one point they shed one of their feathers with the hope that Krishna may take that and accept that as, as an offering of love, that that's what they are having presenting. So Krishna sees you know, the presentation of the peacocks, they are offering whatever they have with the utmost bhakti. And, and, and the peacocks themselves feel 
we are not giving anything, this is nothing, one feather, no? it's externally seems like insignificant, mm -hmm. but it's again, an extension of themselves, no? a very part of their being. Mm -hmm. So Krishna takes that offering and he really like appreciates that so much, no? so much, <laughs> that he chooses to, no? not he's not putting that in the pocket, I say, oh, thank you, I will see what I do with that at some point, no, he immediately that goes on top of his head. Again, the highest thing that is accompanying Krishna is the peacock feather, you can see. <laughs> and forever, it's not that he put the feather that day so the peacocks are happy and when the peacocks went, okay, thank you so much. That remained there perpetually, basically. Again, that's one of the defining features. The first one mentioned in this verse. No? Peacock feather, Krishna. No? And of course, again, what does the peacock feather mean in this context? Bhakti. And Krishna is decorating himself with bhakti. That's his sringar. Sringar means decoration. Of course, sringar also means romantic love, and ultimately, <laughs> that's the bhakti of the gopis decorating him. But, but the idea is Krishna. And sorry if I sound too poetic tonight, but that's that's unavoidable. That's what the verses are. <laughs> the implications of those verses. So. So Krishna takes the bhakti of his devotees and he decorates himself with them. The all attractive becomes more attractive, more beautiful with that. And he puts that bhakti, he receives bhakti from his devotees. I say, what should I do with bhakti? I will put bhakti on top of my head. That's bhakti. Bhakti is something that I worship and I maintain always, always on top of my head. So that's one of the symbols of the peacock feather. Krishna always maintains bhakti on top of his head, and his bhakti, his devotees, he, his aviman, his, his self-consideration, who I am, is, I am bhakta bhakti man, says the Bhagavatam, Bhagavan bhakta bhakti man. I am a devotee of my devotees. So the peacock feather is there as a reminder to all of us, not to him, he doesn't need to be reminded of that, he's totally observant to that. So he's putting hmm, love and bhakti on top of his head. And in this connection, of course, if you want to play out the ultimate implications of what, who is the ultimate highest personification of bhakti, we will converge in the figure of Sri Radha. So there's something very interesting in connection with the peacock feather as well, in connection with Sri Radha. And again, in one sense, one may say, okay, peacock feather should be, is at the head of Krishna, but another way of conceiving it, it should be at the feet of Sri Radha. Because she is the very personification of bhakti, so all, all that represents bhakti is, is at the feet of her, and that's why Krishna's head is most beautiful when it is at, at the feet of Sri Radha, basically. Mm -hmm. Whenever the feather goes, Krishna's head will fall. No? So if the peacock feather will fall at the feet of Radha, you may imagine where Krishna's head will go. Mm -hmm. So it is said that sometimes when Krishna is seeing. He's having Radha Darshan, he's seeing Sri Radha, having Radha Pada Darshan, the Darshan of Sri Radha. He starts to, as in many Lilas, as we know, when he's lifting Govard and so many others, he's having Radha Darshan and everything starts to move <laughs> internally and externally. So he starts to tremble on the peacock feather that is always crowning him, always fixed there, starts to move and starts to fall at the feet of Sri Radha. Mm -hmm. and somehow enters in touch with her feet <coughs> mm -hmm. so the point is 
And Sri Radha may ask at this point, sometimes that Lila is there, no? Radha will tell Krishna, okay, you are carrying this feather always in your head. Hmm? But our love, my love, sometimes Sri Radha takes this bold position, but my love is higher than, than the peacocks. No? In a loving way. So, in which way you are carrying me? You are carrying that feather everywhere. You are never leaving that feather. And it's okay, no problem. But what about us, gopis? What about me? No? My love is... is on, I love you so how you are carrying me on every single level. So, as we know, Abhinatvam Namanamino, between Krishna and His name, there is no difference. We can apply the same idea between Sri Radha and her name. So, since Sri Radha's name is non different from her, it is said that Krishna is always carrying Sri Radha's presence with Him wherever He goes, in the peacock feather. But in Parokshabad, in an indirect way, and how? You have to look at the second image that I sent, that I will have to, again, share here. Give me one minute. Where, oh, here it is. So I will share screen for a third time. If you pay close attention to the image, hopefully you can see there, or you can share there. The name of Sri Radha is written in the peacock feather. You have the, the design there? So you, so you can see the letters, the first letter, if you can see the image there. Is Ra, no, the, the long, the, the short Ra. The next little stick is in, implying the long A. So it's Ra because Ra Dha, the two A's are long. So Ra, and then comes the Dha, which is like in, inverted, like the inverted tree with the next little stick. That's the Dha, and the final one is the indicates the long A. Ah. So it's Ra Dha. Hmm? So you can see, in this way, <laughs> Sri Krishna is telling Sri Radha, I'm always carrying you above my head. The ultimately, that's the meaning what I... What I you know how there are so many meanings. Krishna is carrying the, the peacock feather in reciprocation to the peacocks and, and appreciating bhaktis on my head always in a general way. But we, can, we have always the, the specific version of this, which is, ultimately, if you play out the, the highest implications of that, that's Sri Radha. So she, he's carrying her, and he's he's crowning himself with her name, basically, and that's that's the, the Krishna we worship, basically, the Krishna who has his feet, his head at the feet of Radha, or who has her at his above his head. There is a very nice verse by Prabodha Nanda Saraswati. He says, "Rasa gana mohana murtim bichitrikili mahotsavolasitam Radha charanaviloditam ruchirasikandam harimbande." So there Prabhupada Nanda Saraswati but he's saying, I offer pranam to Krishna, he's a pranam mantra to Krishna, who, who has uh, Rasa Gwana Mohanamurti, he's the most charming form of concentrated condensed rasa, and which is that particular form of Krishna in his most condensed rasic presentation, Ruchirasi Kandam Harim Bande, who has his peacock feather on the floor and his head is rolling on the ground, Radhacharanabhi Lodita. At the feet of Sri Radha, says That's the Krishna I worship, he said. The one whose peacock feathers rolling on the ground at the feet of Sri Radha. That's our Krishna, the Gaudiya, Istadev, if you will. <laughs> no. Mohana. Yeah, Krishna, Mohana. We have Cupid, Mohana, Krishna, Madan, Mohana, and Sri Radha is Madan, Mohan, Mohini. No. Mohana is Cupid, the one who enchants everyone. Krishna is the one who enchants, that one who enchants everyone. And Sri Radha is the one who enchants that one chance 
God can chance everyone. <laughs> so, first word of the verse. Can I continue some minutes? A little bit. No, not that much, but a little bit. Let's go to the next part of the verse. Natavara Bapu. I think maybe we will finish with that. Let's see. So Natavara Bapu, from the peacock feather as a crown of Krishna's head, we go to Natavara Bapu, which means his Bapu, his body is Natavara, the king of dancers, the topmost dancers. In other words, everything about Krishna's body is the topmost dancer. Everything in Krishna's body is dancing in the topmost way, from head to toe, from tip to toe. His attire, his ornaments, everything is Natavara, everything is king of dancers. On his chest he has, as we have seen, by Jayantimala, the garland, but the garland is always depicted as dancing. Do not ever think of Krishna with everything like in pause. Okay, Mantra Mayupasana, <laughs> but even if you think Mantra Mayupasana, you have to remember, everything is moving. <laughs> Maybe you have the same image, no? Like when they do in like a gif, <laughs> there's one image but there is some movement repeat. <laughs> so you don't have the whole movie, it's only one image, but some dynamics is there. So you can meditate. This verse is one image, but the earrings are dancing. The Bajayanti Mali with its five kind of flowers dancing, is swinging. His ten fingers is rhythmically moving while playing the flute. So everything is, is dancing in a very charming way. His locks of hair are moving, and what to speak, his heart. That's the main movement going on there. So everything in his body is dancing, but not just dancing, but Natavara Bapu. That's a very nice description, Natavara Bapu. Everything in his Bapu is Natavara. You never hear a description like this of anyone. No? <laughs> Like everything in his body is the king of dancers. It's like, what? <laughs> but the Bhagavatam is, the gopis basically, through Sukadev Goswami, those are the words through which they are trying to express what they are perceiving, how they feel, how they perceive Krishna's body. So his body is not a bar, and therefore it's not comparable to any other dancer, what to speak, no? because dancing is attractive and a dancer may be attracted. And, Divine dancing is attractive. We have some dancers also. We have Mahadev, for example, Shiva. Sometimes he's called Nataraj, as you may have heard, the king of dancers. He's celebrated throughout the two worlds, mostly because of his Sandhava Nitya, which is the dis destructive dancers at the end of the creative cycle. So it's another type of dance which destroys everything. <laughs> In the case of Krishna, his dancing is mostly creative more than destroying, you know, creative and, and celebratory, basically. You know? mm -hmm. So, and of course, as we know, Krishna is the guru in one sense of Mahadev. Mahadev is aspiring in that direction. So Krishna is the Nataraj, the, the dancing guru of Shiva. Mm -hmm. And apart from him, I mean, no other avatar of Vishnu is dancing. You never heard Baraha dancing, Nishimhadev dancing, Vishnu dancing. You never heard that. Even Krishna outside of Vrindavan. So, only Krishna and no avatar, avatari. Only avatari is dancing in this way, Natavar. Krishna or Sriman Mahaprabhu Ki Jai, <laughs> who is non different, of course, from Trihari in his ultimate Natavar moments, for sure. 
So a famous example of Krishna's Natavaras we always mention is Krishna dancing on the hoods of Kaliya and giving this like trailer of what's to come regarding Rasa Lila, showing to the gopis, see how nice dancer I am, just in case, <laughs> if you would like to join me. So he's giving this unique uh, mercy to Kaliya, stamping his mar the marks of his foot on Kaliya's head. Hmm? And, and, and it is said that Kaliya at one point he started to receive so much mercy that, that his head, his hood, he started to ask Krishna, oh, this hood is, 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 remains to be imprinted with your lotus feet, dance on this one. So Krishna will jump on that particular one. I mean, it's, there's not that much place to dance in a serpent's hood. It's like, this is the stage. But Krishna was not around, so he was able to do a whole dance in that particular spot, <laughs> and then jump to another hood, and then jump. And it's a moving stage. No, it's not. An, I mean, you can dance here. Okay, let's dance, and who knows what mess I, I may do dancing, but <laughs> but Krishna was dancing on a moving stage, you know, the hoods of Kal and it was slippery, you know, his serpent's head with water, this was the space, but he was doing such a, jumping from one to another and so on. So he's not a rush, as we mentioned, in Rasa Lila he will receive the, the official PhD of dancer with the gopis there, Mahaprabhu, what to speak, Nataraj, Rasa Yatra, the dance of Mahaprabhu is described in a very beautiful way, Indeed, in Rathayat, Mahaprabhu is engaged mostly in dancing, rather than in any other activity. If you pay attention, he's dancing, he's dancing, he's dancing. <laughs> mm -hmm. And again, this dancing isn't... It's a natural ecstatic expression of celebration, as Guru Maharaj will say. When you are too full, you cannot just sit. You need to wake up and dance. You need to celebrate your fullness. In this world, people are celebrating their foolishness, but you need to celebrate your fullness. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, so Krishna always is dancing. Oh, he, again, everything is dancing in him. Sometimes Krishna is depicted. Some names of Krishna have more to do with, like, Morli Dhar, Bamsi Vadana, Benu Gopal. Different names. He's a flute player. You no, know? sometimes that's the main label we may hear. That's his designation, flute, flute, flute player, flute player, musician. But even in those situations, whenever you see he's playing flute, he's depicted and he's dancing. I mean, there's some movement. It's not that the Krishna's like strike like this, like no movement. He's, everything is in him, as so we know, Trivanga Lalita. So moving in such a way, his pose is always inviting for dance, inviting for... Again, the deities are in celebratory movement. That's Lila, celebratory movement, very different movement than from karma. And Srila Jiva Goswami, in his commentary on this section, he says that this Natavara form of Krishna is the best of Krishna's form. Again, we are pounding this same pose over and over again, but Krishna is the king of dancers, is his best form. Because what makes him dance? Again. <laughs> so that's the real reason why he's the highest form. And Jiva Goswami says, that's such a high form that not only astonishes everyone, but astonishes even Krishna himself. Krishna himself is astonished by such a form, such a beauty. And he quotes a famous verse from the Bhagavatam, Janmarta Lila Bhoi comes to Yoga, Mayavalam Dharsayatagrihitam Vishmapanam Sasya Chasovagarte Parampadam Bhushana Bhushanam 
Vishmapanan Satsyacha Sobhagar. This Yan Marte Lilapau, you can see this Nara form, this human-like form of Krishna in Vrindavan is so beautiful that it astonishes Krishna himself and all his other forms, Narayan and so on. All of them are like dumbfounded. Do you say dumbfounded? Like fiber glasses? Like, oh my God, such beauty there. Because again, Natavara has to do also with Nara Lila, the human-like form of Krishna, which is its highest form. Krishna Raya Tikkakila Sarvotama Nara Lila Narabapu Tanhara Sarup Gopavish Benukar Navakishar Natavar Nara Lila Hai Anarup says Krishna Das Kaviraj. This Krishna human-like form, Nara Lila, is the best of all Lilas, is the best of all forms. There is no comparison, he says. And he describes that form similar to here. Gopavish, dressed as a cowherd, Benukar, flute in hand, Navakishore, eternally young, Natavar, king of dancers, and he then says, Ah, oh, Nara Lila, high Anurup. Uh, this Nara Lila is like too much. <laughs> and he passes out after saying <laughs> So he is a Natavar, the best of dancers. And again, the best of dancers has to have certain requisites, even in this world, what to speak, Krishna. No? Best, a good dancer has to be good balance and good tempo or good relationship with rhythm. If you don't have too much rhythm in your DNA, better you try being a carpenter or something. Because yeah. <laughs> you need to know how to dance, to have follow rhythm in that, especially Indian dancing so much. So you have to have good balance. You have to have nice ankle bells. In Indian dancing, you have the ankle bells that you are establishing the rhythm with this. Now Krishna is tucking his dhoti up. So he, when he dances, the dhoti... I mean, if you try to dance with the dhoti too, too low, that may end in a tragedy. <laughs> and many other things. You know, he has to have everything. Good smile, nice eyes, nice, nice moving of the eyes. If you pay attention to Indian dancing, it's, so much going on in the eyes only. And what to speak about the mudras and the different emotional expressions with the hands and keeping an eye an eye on the audience because the audience is there is reciprocal and so on. In this case the audience are the gopis. So all of this put together in its highest possible degree, that's Natavara Bapu. That's Krishna dancing for the gopis. Hmm? But also let me go to some alternative meanings before we we end. This may be probably the longest class on my visit here, just for you to prepare. And this, we will get just the first line of the verse. <laughs> so Jiva Goswami also mentions that Natabara has a second meaning, interestingly. And we are just beginning. So Natabara, yes, king of dancers, but also Bara not only refers to that the topmost. But Bara refers to a boy who is about to get married, Jiva Goswami mentions, and who is dancing in joy. No? Like if he's just to get married and he's like celebrating. So basically Krishna is, of course he's, he never gets married in Braj, he's like a playboy there. <laughs> but somehow he's married with the gopis. So he's about to get married in the form of about to officially meet with them. So in that case, Natavara can be applied to that. He's ex expressing that the light that comes from the anticipation of we will get together very soon. Hmm? Hmm. And everything, as we know in Golok, lead, led by such a Natavara, as, as, as Brahma Samhita say, every step is danced there. Hmm? Every every word is sung, and Jiva Goswami will say, what, what does it mean when they start dancing? What does it mean when Natavara appears on a scene? Oh my God. 
Uh, so again, their dancing is an overflowing of ananda. Hmm? They are not dancing to attain ecstasy. That's what people do when they go to a discotheque. And since they cannot attain ecstasy, they have to swallow one pill with that name. To get as closer as possible. At least something with the name is involved in all the... <laughs> and it lasts for a moment and then you have all the consequences of that. But in this case, you are seeing people dancing out of ecstasy. Not in need of, but out of. Because that's already there. Their dancing is impelled. Impelled, you say? So that's an anubhav. Anubhav means like ecstatic reaction. Ecstasy is already there and it makes you whatever, sing, shout, laugh, whatever, dance in this case. Hmm? For us sadhakas, we may not have ecstasy, but also the dancing in the context of bhakti is a means to ecstasy. So if we are dancing, it's, it's, it's a natural expression of something we are feeling. It may not be yet bhava bhakti, but it's something that properly expressed may take us to that goal. Hmm? And also a third meaning of Nata Vara Bapu is instead, they say many commentators, instead of Nata Vara Bapu, they say Nata Nara Bapu, emphasizing Nara. Nara means human. So basically saying that he's dancing, not, not so much regarding his human, Krishna's human-like form, but Krishna's dancing makes all, the, all, all other Naras, means humanity dance. His dancing inspires our dancing basically. His dancing inspires dancing others. And that's what happened in Vrindavan as we mentioned with the peacocks and others. When they see Krishna dancing, they start dancing. And everything starts dancing. So Nata Nara Bapu in this case means he who, by seeing whom by seeing whom one feels inspired to dance. And there is another meaning, a fourth one. <laughs> We're not, if you don't like this, you have to speak with our Goswami, sorry. <laughs> but I hope you like it. <laughs> not an, another meaning of Nata Nara Bapu hmm, is for Krishna. When he starts dan dancing, he forgets his God. And he becomes immersed in this Nara Lila, in this human-like pastimes. Hmm. And not, 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 so much, not only he forgets, but others forget his God. They saw him dancing, and that's the psychology of Raj, of course. Nobody's thinking Krishna is God. They are seeing him in terms of his Krishna. He's not about a Bhakti. God doesn't dance. <laughs> and Krishna himself gets so absorbed in that dancing that he's not aware that he's God again, similarly. Because again, he reciprocates with that Gyansunya Bhakti. The Bodhis approach him as if he's not God, and he replies accordingly. And as we know, famous Nietzsche have said, I, I will believe in a God that dances, you know, mm -hmm. whatever it may be, the, the context of all that. But he had a glimpse for me in that. You know, like, ultimate reality must be dance. <laughs> ultimate reality should be dancing. It has to be dance, basically. Many Western philosophers say very interesting things. Dostoevsky once said, Beauty will save the world. <laughs> and of course, we will agree totally. It all begins with a pick of feather. <laughs> so, God must be a dancer. Beauty will save the world. We have our own version of that, but many people in a sincere 
search reached those the shores of those same conclusions basically yeah? so again dancing is like movement but added with beauty you know? movement uplifted with beauty hmm? so if, in the same way when you combine word with beauty it becomes poetry when you combine movement with beauty it becomes dance and everything in Brindown is poetry and dance because everything is beauty <laughs> the all attractive is there again a different movement dancing lila is a different movement than karma hmm? and of course ultimately if you want to give another layer of meaning to natavar naravapu natavar bapu is okay krishna is the king of dancers but <laughs> and krishna is natavar mahaprabhu as well especially because of what krishna das kavras radhikar prem guru amishishanata the Natavar, the famous in the whole world of this, he says that Sada Chayadvata. He says, actually, everyone knows me as the king of dancers, but in my own estimation, I'm just a pupil, student, at the school of dancing of Sri Radha, Krishna is saying, through the pen of Krishna Das. I'm going to her dancing school. Sri Radha has a dancing school. The movement is in, is, is in terms of Prem. And Krishna says, Ami, Shishya, I'm his disciple, I'm a student in that school. And Radhikar Prema, the Prem of Sri Radha is my guru and makes me dance so many wonderful dances, make me move like a puppet. So here we have the ultimate. One second. So here we are, the computers, I was to say, there had an overdose of nectar and had to collapse for a minute, take a breath, and here we are back. So we were just saying some last few words regarding the Natavara Bapu idea of how all these converges as usual, as the peak of feather converge in Radhanam, Krishna's being the king of dancers, converges and he's being a student, a pupil at her school of dancing. And we will see how all of these qualities of Krishna mostly ultimately had their ultimate meaning and application in connection to Sri Radha. But give me five more minutes. Let me finish the first line of the verse. We have four lines. At least let me finish the first. And I will try tomorrow to finish the other three. If I don't know if that will be ever possible. But, but this will be shorter than the other qualities. Let's go to the last words of the first line, which is Karnayo Karnikaram. Which remember, Karnayo means on both ears. It's a plural. Karnikaram is singular. He has one Karnikar flower. Which is like a, how is it in English, water lily? You pronounce like this, like a water lily, which is which is yellow, but sometimes also described as blue. Which again, these two colors are always to do for Krishna. Yellow is Radha's hue, Radha's luster, and, and blue is what? Krishna. Oh, but he's not a narcissistic. He won't put his own color there. <laughs> That's Radha's cloth. No. Which is connected with Krishna's here, <laughs> but everything he will wear is in connection to her. So again, karna yo is in plural, two ears, and karnikar is singular, one flower. So what's the idea of this description? In his two ears, one flower. How, how do he has half flower here, half flower there? How what's the dynamic? So so what's the meaning? So the meaning is basically that. There are many meanings, but the main meaning given by our church is that Krishna is wearing one flower. Sometimes it has it on the right ear, 
sometimes it has it on his left ear hmm? and of course that will depend on which side the gopis are you know, looking so if the gopis are from this side Krishna will put the you know, like to look more beautiful like in the eyes of the gopis you know? and also with the flowers send some messages to them and when he's returning when he goes to the forest the gopis may be here he's returning they may be there so he will say the flower and <laughs> and, and something is well Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur mentions that with these flowers Krishna expresses the intoxication of his youth because he's Dira Lalita he's entering adolescence and he's intoxicated with with yeah with romanticism basically one second again something going on so, by putting the, the flower in the same direction that the gopis are, basically he's pointing to how he, how much he loves them. Sometimes it is said that this Karnikara flower on earth, not on Krishna's ear, blossoms on faces like the, the eastern direction, you know, when the sun, is, the sun is rising. And it is said that as the sun is moving from the east to the west, the Karnikara flower is like accompanying that, you know, like always facing the sun following the path of the sun basically and it is said that when the sun is setting the Karnikara flower also is like like showing her loyalty to the sun her friendship if you will to the sun so in the same way Krishna is saying that when he's taking the cows to grace like he's doing in, in the scene depicted in this verse he's putting the Karnikara flower on the ears that are the year that is facing the Gopis and Sri Radha in particular Sri Radha when he's returning he will put on the other side just to always face them, basically, in other words. He only has eyes to them, indicating his, his heart's deep uh, affection for them. Like the flower with the sun. Krishna is known as sun also. Krishna, Surya, Sammayahai, Andhakardhan, Krishna. But Krishna has his own sun as well. No? Shirad is the sun of the sun, basically. Krishna's sun in that sense. No? The one that gives light. His, his Shakti, his Sarup Shakti. So, some brief words regarding this section. I promise that. So I am trying to follow my word. So with this, we are <clears throat> just finishing the first line. But hopefully, next tomorrow we can continue with with the remaining three or whatever it takes on this very beautiful fifth verse of the Venu Gita, which again gives us this very uh, clear Krishna, deep Krishna meditation hmm, from the heart of the Gopis through the mouth of Sukadev, and hopefully through our ears, mind, and hearts as well. So, thank you so much for your attention, and we continue tomorrow. Srila Gurudev Ki Jai, Sriman Mahaprabhu Ki Jai, Sri Harinam Sankirtan Ki Jai, Sri Sri Dauji Gopal Ki Jai, Grantara Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai, Sri Venugit Ki Jai, Gaur Bhaktabhinda Ki Jai, Gaur Pramanam Ki Jai.